Welcome to Ask Andy featuring Andrew Redleaf. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs. Today I want to talk a little bit about the recent market volatility and how I think one should think about it and position oneself and in particular in comparison to the events of market turmoil in the past. A couple of points. First, point one, the market action of the last six months you know, is definitely of an order of magnitude in terms of the destruction of financial wealth with what we consider semi-apocalyptic events of the past. So comparing the decline in paper wealth over the last six months to the March of 2020, you know, right at the outbreak of the pandemic, or even 2008 or the uh, great financial crisis, the destructions of wealth are comparable in some ways. Um, this six-month period has probably been worse in that in previous volatility used to bring negative correlation with bond prices. So equity prices in 08 and 98, equity prices fell, but government bond prices rose quite a bit. And in this period, bonds have been, you know, at least relatively speaking, at least as bad as stocks. So that for the kind of traditional 60-40 diversified institutional investor, the paper losses are as bad as they've ever been. Interday, you know, sort of stock market moves, again, while not unprecedented, certainly of the same order of magnitude as in uh, disruptions of the past. So I'm recording this on uh, Thursday, May 19th, following Wednesday, a day on which the stock market declined the most since the beginning of the pandemic, spurred by a disappointing earnings report by by Target. And I have to say, the action in all retail stocks was something I, I've never seen before. Target's report, at least as read by us and by other analysts, was very much a story of both execution and macro. So execution, things specific to Target in terms of their stocking the wrong goods and perhaps overpaying for shipping on the goods that they had ordered and specific kind of excess inventory that would appear to be a function of their execution. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, essentially every retailer was down 10 plus percent, you know, and these are very, 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 very large moves for what are traditionally not tremendously volatile stocks. So point one, order of magnitude, similar in scale to things like the beginning of the pandemic and the great financial crisis. I think there are two very, very pronounced differences and they push in opposite directions and give some direction to how I think one should position oneself in terms of strategy. First and foremost, if we look at 
March of 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, or the fall of 2008, the collapse of Lehman, the great financial crisis. One thing that I think is obvious is in both of those cases, economic calamity was clearly a possibility. And events were of a scale and clearly of an economic significance of a magnitude that you really don't see. That we certainly, we had never seen anything like the pandemic in terms of shutting down the economy and the potential insolvency of basically the whole of the financial system in 2008. Again, something that we'd never seen. And I would suggest that you know, the period after the collapse of long-term capital, Russian default, collapse of long-term capital, a squeeze on leveraged financial players in 98, and the stock market crash of 87, both were events in which one could reasonably think that the reverberations on the direct economy would be quite severe. Uh, today, I don't really believe that's the case. Now, while there's discussion of the economy entering into a recession, some people have even said that we're in a recession, that the recession has started. We did have a quarter of negative real growth, though still very um, strong, very positive nominal growth. While that debate rages, there's no sort of reasonable expectation of a cataclysmic contraction on the real economy. So that's distinction one, and that would, you know, I think indicate that one should be looking to buy things, looking for value, looking for securities with strong businesses and cash generation. The thing that makes this period a little different is the cavalry isn't coming, and everybody knows the cavalry isn't coming. The cavalry being a massive injection of liquidity, the Fed throwing money at not really the real economy, but at financial markets. So the market declines ended very quickly with injections of liquidity and policymakers backing financial institutions and encouraging a pretty much no-hold-bars push to uh, reliquify the system and to ensure that, for sure, creditworthy borrowers could borrow, and even non-creditworthy borrowers, if there was a case that they were what they called systemically important or their failure could have dramatic spillover effects into the real economy, they got direct government money. So cavalry came, massive injections of liquidity. Ditto, in fact, on steroids for 2020, an absolutely unprecedented injection of liquidity. And with the PPP program and the Main Street Lending program, money going directly to businesses and consumers. It was the change in the specifics of the injection of the liquidity and the amount of money going directly 
to businesses and consumers as opposed to financial and intermediaries was what led me to predict at the end of 2020 that, that we would have significant inflation in 2021. I gave the number 5%, uh, trying to be a little provocative. So, And that was way outside of what anybody was predicting, let alone the 8% that happened. So in the previous crises or market disruptions, the massive injections of liquidity more or less stopped the fall in financial markets immediately. So uh, in 2020, it was a month that was maybe six weeks. In 2008, the financial markets bottomed more or less immediately with monetary intervention. So the declines were on the order of, the period was on the order of a month. We're currently in month five or six. I commented in a very early podcast in the wake of the market declines related to the economic lockdowns and the beginning of the pandemic, I saw both left tail and right tail as being definitive possibilities I highlighted. Never had I seen both that level of real economic disruption, but on the other hand, that level of massive monetary intervention. And I said, you know, if you hold a gun to my head, I would say go with the Fed, go with the monetary intervention, the markets will work. In this case, the current environment, while the cavalry isn't coming, the Martians aren't invading either. Or, you know, if you're outside of Ukraine, you know, a Volcker era isn't coming. Punitive monetary policy forcing, creating liquidity shortfalls in solvent company isn't currently happening, and I don't see any reasonable expectation that it will. So the move is from clearly excessive monetary stimulus to something more like neutral. And even if we should move a little past neutral, I, I don't see a material chance that we go to austere or extremely tight and have a situation where liquidity puts otherwise solvent businesses out of business. And so I say now that it's okay to bet on the real economy. But by this, I think from a strategy point of view, because it's a bet on the real economy, I don't think the areas that were subject to massive speculation are likely to be reflated. So it's okay to buy Target down 25%. It's, it's fine to buy a basket of retailers. It's, it's fine to buy a, a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan or a basket of financials as Warren Buffett obviously just made an investment in Citigroup because I think it is actually a time to start buying stuff. That doesn't mean I've exited the Bitcoin is worthless camp. So I don't think one should buy Bitcoin. The dynamics of that, the market activity and that move from 60,000 to 30,000 is not comparable 
to you know even the decline in Apple from 180 to 140. So somewhat analogous to the tech wreck of 2000, buying the stocks that had had a Cisco that went from a multiple of 100 to a multiple of 50. It wasn't right to buy Cisco at a 50 multiple. But through that whole period, value, however defined, performed well. And I think that's where we are now. Stronger double B credits yielding between 7 and 8 will provide respectable returns. And I think one could actually buy the high-yield ETF, HYG or JNK. From these levels, they should do okay. One of the phenomena that I think distorts people's perceptions is in a manner somewhat analogous to 1987. We have a period of programmatic, algorithmic trading, overwhelming market-making capacity. And as the market makes become overwhelmed, markets get wider and wider. For the bid-ask spread for some size, however that's defined, grows wider and wider. And one can say, you know, a 3% bid-ask spread in lots and lots of things is not considered particularly wide. If you're traveling and changing currency, you have to pay kind of 10%, which is absurd. But for most things, that kind of discrepancy between, you know, where there's a real bid and where there's a real offer wouldn't garner notice. But in the very visible and normally extraordinarily liquid financial markets, it's a thing. And so if you have hypothetically a stock that closed at 46 and a half, but it's now you know, the opening kind of bid from a market maker or a dealer, an intermediary, somebody who will step in if there's a buyer or a seller, but not really the other side in the natural way. If they're 46, 47, if somebody hits his bid and then with a slight tone change, somebody lifts his offer, nothing has changed, but the stock has had a 2% interday move, which is, you know, high. And we've seen that on a big scale, I think. And at least to a degree, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you see interday volatility in prices that isn't reflective of really anything going on other than an internal market dynamic. And I think that is, to me, one of the things that's very, very striking about this period, which I highlighted in terms of contrasting it with 2020 and 2018. If you look at, you know, sort of what the economic tales are, you know, what are the extreme sort of economic events that could happen? What's the boundary of extreme in terms of what a reasonable person might expect, I would suggest that those are no wider today than in a typical time, materially narrower than in any other period of crisis, and therefore 
the ratio, as it were, of kind of interday immediate volatility to the boundaries of intermediate term expectation is as high as I've ever seen it. And I think this presents some interesting opportunities, and I'm very excited about that. As always, welcome questions and comments. Thank you for listening to Ask Andy. If you would like to submit a question, please email askandypodcast at gmail.com. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs.